Well, if you'll grab your Bibles and open up to Romans 3. And as we get into chapter 3 of Romans, I, I want to remind you uh, something that you probably heard, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard all your life. Uh, it's something called the Roman Road. It's an age-old methodology of, of uh, taking different verses in Romans and leading somebody to Christ. And I grew up Southern Baptist, and, and you know we, that was just beat through us, a Roman Road, because uh, Baptists, for some reason, we, we need to go out on the street corner and preach and, and, you know, and do it that way. And that's what, I mean, they taught that hard. But you take one verse from Romans 3 and one verse from Romans 5 and one verse from Romans 6 and one verse from Romans 10. And through these verses, you can actually lead someone to Christ. And I'll say it was beat through our heads and stuff. It's a good thing it was beat through our heads because you can take the book of Romans and somebody can say, well, you know, you're a Christian. Well, you know, and, and they may even say, hey, I, you know, can you tell me a little bit about it? And you may say, hey, um, you know what, why don't we meet for coffee? I'm going to bring my Bible and don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm just going to show you four different verses in the book of, in, in one of the books there. And you can go for coffee and sit down and start taking them through this and explain why Christ came. So today we're going to cover one of those verses when we actually get to Romans 3.23. And, and, you know, this is where you want to place a, a bookmark in your Bible or a little tab or, or highlight it or write on it or do something to remind you of that. Because when you have the opportunity, it will be there. So Romans 3.1, it says, what advantage then is there for uh, there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in, the, much in every way, first of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will, they, will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument, Paul says. In verse 6, he says, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone uh, might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? In other words, Paul's saying, if I make God look good by sinning, I should just keep sinning, right? And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Verse 8, he says, why, why not say, as, as we are being slanderous, slanderously reported as saying, and some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, their condemnation is deserved. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made that the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. Verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together become worthless. There is no one who does, uh, who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no, uh, no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one 
will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, we have learned a few things as we've gone through the book of Romans, that God has given us a conscience, a morality of right and wrong. And then we learn that, that, that uh, well, he, he gave us creation to begin with, and then he gave us conscience, and, and then we learn that, that God gave us his word, in other words, the law, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. He has shown us in, in reality, in regards to holiness, that we are not holy. When we compare ourselves to the law, we kind of shrink down. And the whole Old Testament is the law. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks about the law, he sometimes is referring to the Ten Commandments. But in this section, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the whole totality, of the whole body of work of the Old Testament, all scriptures that were available to him. You might remember in chapter 2 that Paul said, if you study the scripture and become aware of the fact that Jesus came, then you reject Jesus as a Messiah, then you will stand before God and you won't be judged by the works of Jesus Christ. You rejected that. You will be judged on what you knew, what you knew about the law, what you have been taught about the Scripture, what you've seen in creation, what your conscience has told you, and then ultimately the law. But Paul says, so we are, you know, we are, as Jews, we're cooked, we're goners, because God entrusted the law to us. We knew the Scriptures forwards, we knew the Scriptures backwards, we have no excuse as Jews. But in Romans 3, Paul reveals to us, uh, you know, why the excuse won't work for any person, Jew or Gentile, that, uh, you know, to stand before judgment, but stand before God on judgment day and say, I know this was your defense. I know that Jesus was your defense and he was the perfect plan, but I've decided to opt out of the class, uh, the class action group. I decided to opt out of the whole Christianity thing. That was not me. I have my own defense. The problem is, it won't work and you'll walk away guilty. That's the problem. Look at what it says in Romans 3.20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, though, the law we become conscious of sin, or through the law we become conscious of sin. The Bible reveals and exposes sin. You can never sneak anything past the Old Testament. You really can't. You can't hide from things. You can't hide the old, you know, from the Old Testament. You can't trick the Old Testament. It's either right or wrong, pass or fell. See, the law, the Old Testament is like the dogs at the airport. They come through and they start sniffing out sin. You know what I'm saying? You know, when I travel to Israel, man, they, you know, America, so, oh, we can't profile somebody. I tell you, in Israel, they profile you. They do. They stand in line. They will purposely, uh, uh, they, they have multiple interviews as you're leaving the country to get on the airline because they don't want one of their airlines to, to blow up. In fact, it's, the last time they had an airline hijacking was in 1973. Do you know what happened? This was right after Entebbe, you know, Entebbe, where they had to go in and, and rescue and, and all that, you know, the, uh, their version of special forces went in and all that. Right after that, they had one more attempted uh, uh, hijacking of a plane. You know what happened? The guy stands up and goes, this is a hijacking. Mossad goes, Pew! blew him away. 
Literally, right then and there, they haven't had another tempting. They take it very seriously. Now, as you're going through the airport, they purposely have somebody. They will, they'll come up and they'll start a conversation with you. Just casual conversation. Oh, what'd you do in Israel? Oh, isn't it a wonderful place? And the whole time they're profiling it. And they have somebody talking to you. And without you even thinking about it, they have somebody else talking to your wife. They find out all the stuff that you went and saw when you did it, what days you did it, and all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, oh, this is a great conversation as we're leaving, okay? Then they switch. Then the person that's talking to my wife starts talking to me. And they've been taking notes. And they see if my answers match up to what my wife has said. They want to know if you're, you know, nothing's going to get past you. And you think it's over. And then the dogs come by. And they sniff all your luggage. And then you think, okay, well, that's over. No, not at all. You go over to these special machines. You put your luggage through that machine. And you think, okay, it went through, you know, alarms didn't go off, they didn't grab the luggage, and you think it's over. (laughs) Silly, silly person. You take your luggage over to these central desks that you never pay, you weren't even paying attention to, and you stick your luggage on top, they unzip it, and they start going through your luggage. And they start looking through it. Now the problem is, I mean, they go through everything, your underwear, everything, okay? The problem is my wife and I shared luggage. So as they're taking out stuff, they're giving me looks like, mm-hmm, mm, you know. But, I mean, they go through everything. Everything. See, the thing is, you're not going to get anything by these guys. That's the Old Testament law. You're not going to get anything by them. It is there to show you that you are a sinner, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes you'll walk away just going, oh, you know. Sometimes the New Testament's that way too, but, but that's why they call the New Testament the love, you know, the God's, Christ's love. But it's the same love. It's just the Old Testament is loving you by showing you how much of a sinner you truly are. The law reveals and it detects sin. When you compare yourself to the Old Testament, you will come away feeling very small and feeling that you were in trouble You're wondering if you're ever going to be able to mess up. In fact, if you were an Old Testament Jew, you look forward to the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sacrifice and all sin throughout the nation of Israel would be forgiven. And everybody parties and and like it's 1999. And I mean, they they enjoy partying. They have this huge celebration. And by night's end, you probably have already sinned probably yelled at your kid or you, you know, stole a little manna from your neighbor or, or you, you did something wrong. You may have said a cuss word or, or, or done something and you feel so small. Paul says that the law is unemotional. It's relational. It's unchangeable. It's absolute. There's no diplomatic immunity. There's no second chances. The law is the law, period, plain and simple. Now, well, I won't go into politics, but, you know, I, you know, I was going to say, I, and I totally forgot about this because the, uh, the people that wrote all over our walls and stuff, but I was actually going to open this morning saying, well, you, you've all heard the big story, right? I mean, it has ramifications for years to come, you know, everything that happened this past week and everything. And, and you know, one boy was born at 120 or 139. Have you read about this? And the other boy was born at 121. They're twins. 
The first one came at 139, the other one came at 121. How could that happen? The time change. So now they're going to be fighting, you know, for years. And it's, I was going to kind of play off the, the politics things, you know. But uh, I know, I, I blew it, totally blew it. But we don't measure up to the law. The law is the law. And I wish, you know, in the United States, sometimes the law kind of fluctuates, doesn't it? But in the Bible, it doesn't. We do not measure up. It's like me standing next to Akeem Olajuwon. I, I know I'm uh, showing my age here, but he was, a, he was a huge, huge basketball player in more ways than one back in, you know, like 84. Do you remember Five Slamma Jamma for those older? Anybody? Gary, Yes. He came to my rescue. Gary knows. He's from Houston. So he understands the five slam of gem. I mean, 84. I mean, oh, man, they were just unbelievable guys. And Akeem Olajuwon went to play for the Houston Rockets. Now, Akeem is, like, huge. It's like me standing up to Akeem Olajuwon, and we're going to play basketball. Am I going to measure up? Now, when I was a little skinnier, I could hold my own in basketball. I'm pretty decent at basketball, okay? But there's no way I could measure up to a professional basketball player like, like that, or think, you know, for, for the next generation, think Michael Jordan. And for the next generation, think LeBron James. There's just no way we're going to measure up to that. This is us compared to the Old Testament. We don't measure up. Paul is saying we Jews need to give up on trying to measure up. That's what he's trying to tell the Jews and also the Gentiles. And according to the Son of God who came to offer a different way, and according to Paul, we don't measure up to that perfect standard. Now, some of us are closer to that standard than others, right? Depending on maturity and, and maybe age and, and maybe how long we've been around uh, the Christian world and, and, and whether we're practicing on that or not. It's like, you know, basketball player really practices versus a basketball player. You know, some people are better than others. And, 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 well, that, when it comes to basketball, some people are better than others. I don't mean that in the Christian world, okay? Don't take me like that. But I'm just saying some people are closer depending on maturity. But in reality, it doesn't matter how close we are because we don't measure up to that. That's why we need the advocate. That's why we need Jesus Christ as our advocate on Judgment Day, as our lawyer. I mean, Mother Teresa, we all love Mother Teresa, right? Whether you believe in, in, you know, she was Catholic, whether you really like that or not. But we all, I mean, we can all appreciate Mother Teresa. She did some wonderful day, uh, wonderful things. Served her whole life serving the poor of India. And just, just out there. Guess what? Even though she's a saint, she does not measure up. In all of her good works, she does not measure up. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. That's why she needed Jesus Christ just as much as we need Jesus Christ. Because we don't measure up. It's good for us to open up the law. It's good for us to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And remind ourselves how, how sinful we are to take our baggage to the airport and let the Holy you know, Spirit snoop and, uh, you know, around a little bit in the luggage I mean, you could go even further in your reading and, and read some of the wisdom books, you know, like Job or Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or, or Song, of, Song of Solomon and ask, how wise am I concerning my decisions in this life compared to this? Then you could even read some of the prophets, Isaiah all the way to Malachi. I mean, many of them are, are really short books, and they're called the minor prophets, and they should be called the, the short prophets. And the long-winded prophets. 
And if I was back then, I don't know which one I would actually be. Probably a long-winded one, you know, but, but still. Now, if you were to read all of this and you didn't know Jesus, you would say, I have a lot of work to do to be acceptable spiritually. Because you see, reading the Bible humbles us. Continually studying, just, it, it just makes us much more <laughs> relaxed in a sense. of it, it shows us that no matter how good we are, we, we just don't really get there. And as we read, we start to, to understand where the Spirit wants to work on us. Oh, I'm doing great in this area. We feel so great about this area. And, and then we read something and the Lord goes, <laughs> Hey, Alan, did you reread that part right there? Go ahead and reread that one. I want you to understand that one a little bit better. And it humbles us as we start to understand and we start repenting, to repent of our sin. Consistent Old Testament Bible study is a good thing. It's like a, you know, it's one of the best disinfectants, you know, that spiritual uh, germs that we get like pride and other things. These are the germs of pride that, that constantly, uh, uh, you know, tries to grow on us as believers. And, and we just leave it there and it'll just grow and take over. And we start to think too much of ourselves. But consistent study of the word humbles us. Now in verse 19, it says... Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, in other words, guilty, and the whole world held accountable to God. See, this keeps us from judging other people. Verse 20 says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, as I've come to study the Bible... I've started to understand that, that not only is the Bible a, a measuring stick for us, it's also a teacher. It's also a tutor. We allow the Holy Spirit to, to take us as an individual and as a, as a teacher. And every time I open the Bible, you know, I don't close it until it reminds me of something basically I already knew or it teaches me something that I didn't know or I hadn't realized yet. You know, one way to gauge how much to read when you're studying the Word of God is is uh, stay in one area for a while, and has it saturated you? Have you slowed down enough for it to, to really infuse you? And this is one way to, to really get healthy. I mean, you know, reading the Bible in 90 days is a wonderful thing. Reading the Bible, you know, a Bible plan to read it in, in one year, those are all wonderful things, and it's good to, to read it all, all the way through. But sometimes we just need to sit in one section and say, Lord, show me what you have to teach me through this. Now, that may not be in Numbers. That may not be in Leviticus. You know what I'm saying? So there's times for us to read through and, you know, 244,000 men and da 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 Okay, okay, I get that. I mean, there's some stuff in there. But, I mean, there's other scriptures that, for us to say, you know, it soaks me and marinates me and let me stay there. It's like going to a Mexican restaurant. And they bring out the bowl of vegetables and set on the table. And you grab a carrot, which you think is a carrot, and you stick it in your mouth. And all of a sudden you realize, well, that carrot don't taste like a carrot. It's a little spicy. It's been soaking with the jalapenos, right? You know, a little spicy there. If you're, spo- you know, you're soaking in the Word of God, when, when people bite into you, what they taste will be a little different. You see what I'm saying? That's why we need to soak in the Word of God. The Word of God washes us and cleanses us and makes us 
edible, for lack of a better term. So Paul needs to, to, you know, Paul says that we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be in the Bible. He says the Word is his teacher. The Word is his tutor. Listen to what Paul says and, you know, says about this in Galatians 3.21. You don't have to turn there, but listen to it. It says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? In other words, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Absolutely not. For if the law had been given to, that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a, is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Wow. Verse 23 of Romans, he says, Before the faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up in faith, locked up until faith should be revealed. In other words, we were carted off to jail. You know, the drug-sniffing dogs were around. They found something in our luggage, and we said, well, it's not mine. And they say, well, your name is on the luggage. And you go, um, let me call my lawyer. No, 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 no. You've already rejected your lawyer. It's already too late for that. So now defend yourself. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And they, they said, you have creation. You have your conscience. You have Christ. You've sat in church for years. You knew. And you, and you go, well, what about my second chance? And they said, well, you had a second chance. You had a fifth chance. You had a 28th chance. You had a 304 chances. And you had chances over and over. And you never took it. So in Galatians, it goes on, in verse 24, it says, so the law was put in charge to lead, in other words, to teach, to tutor us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Amen? We're no longer under the supervision of the law. We're not held to that same standard. Now, if we go back to Romans 3.19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Declared righteous. That's another big church word. It's the word justified. You might hear that. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's like the word righteous. You know, pretty much, they're both interchangeable here. It means to render righteous, to acquit to remove all guilt, to legally uh, declare virtuous, innocent, faultless, guiltless, and acceptable before God. So in verse 20, he says, No human by the law is innocent or guiltless. The law simply points out our shortcomings. But don't get depressed. Because after three chapters of bad news, and we've gone through a lot of bad news, right? You gossipers. I can't believe you gossip. Let me tell you the other day what so-and-so was telling. Oh, wait, no, no, okay. You know, you prideful people. I mean, Paul just whipped us and just knocked us upside the head. And just all the way, all the way through these three chapters of bad news. But are you ready for something different? Verse 21, he says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, 
or apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Look at these words, the words apart. Did I? I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) The words apart means separate, by itself, or independent. Made known means once hidden, but now out there. The prophets testify this. The prophets confirm this. So just the justification of God, in other words, the independent of the law, is now, or is, is, is now visible and affirmed by the Old Testament. We have been declared faultless. We have no more guilt. It's like Jesus came to the airport, and the dog came along and sniffed our luggage, and they went, oh, I found something good in here. The dog sits down because he smells drugs, and Jesus comes up and says, oh, no, 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 those are my bags. His bags are over there. And we're like, well, well, no, really, Jesus, those were, and Jesus is like, mm-mm, so, mm-mm. my bags. He takes the blame. Jesus says, I'm the sinner you are looking for. Because the law is questioning you. Wow. So you get over there and they finally open up the luggage that you now have. And you're thinking, I hope nothing bad is in here. And they start going through it. You know, I hope nothing embarrasses me. And guess what? There's nothing there that will embarrass you. No shame, no guilt, no underwear. You know, yeah, I'm sorry. It's full of things of God. All the baggage that you've had, all the baggage that you've gathered in this life is now checked by Jesus. And your old stuff is blown up out back by the bomb squad. The law moves on and you get to enter into eternity with all the new stuff. And you think, did I fool the law? Jesus looks at you and just, no, no. You satisfy the law because of your faith in me. Because I satisfied the law. Jesus substituted everything about you with him. Everything that you don't like about yourself, Jesus can replace. That's a great thing. There's things I love about myself. And there's things that I absolutely hate about myself. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like that. And Jesus replaces that. See, many of us believe that we have to work for this, but it's actually completely free, completely free. Some people have a problem with this being free. They think they have to work for it, so they don't accept it. But when, when you stand before the, bod, uh, the Father and say, well, I don't you know, I didn't take it because it was free and I really, you know, felt like we had to work for it. And the father's going to say, I beg your pardon? Don't tell me it didn't cost anything. I sent my only son down there to take that sin. Don't tell me it was completely free. Now, it's free for us for the taking, but it wasn't free in that sense. I chose to allow my son to be hung on that cross, to be rejected. His own, you know, earthly family rejected him. His friends rejected him. I had 12 legions of angels ready to come down and rescue him, and I held them back. Wow. Jesus even struggled with this in the garden. He said, not my will, Father, but yours. I don't want to go through this, but 
whatever you say I need to do, I will do that. And, and God's sitting there going, I turned my back on him so he wouldn't hesitate. So don't tell me that it wasn't worth it because it was free. See, God changes us from the inside out completely so we can stand before him and not be judged. And our reaction should be, okay, God, since you did this for me, what do you want me to do? And Paul says it right here in verse 21. In Romans 3.21, he says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. For who? It's for everybody. Well, if I want to do some work, if you want to work, if you feel like you need to work for your salvation, here's the work. Verse 22, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Your work is faith. That's your work. That's your part of the deal. For those who have friends who, who want you know, concrete proof of God, well, guess what? Accepting God includes faith. It includes faith. If you're willing to believe, if you're willing to have that faith, then you will see the hand of God, his, Him being active in this life. But if you choose not to have faith, it's like having blinders on. You know what I'm saying? It's like not being able to see everything that's out there. But you have to put all your eggs in one basket. You have to say, it is not by my works that I've done this, but according to the mercies that that you've given me has saved me. And to say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who I am. This is what I talk about. Yes, I am one of those wacky believers. Yes, Jesus switched all my clothes, all my luggage, all my identity, and I got on a plane headed for heaven. That is it. Because faith, <coughs> faith means belief. The same in the Greek, it's the word pistis. It's assurance, it's trust, it's confidence, the conviction of truth of anything. Christians are people who are convinced of the truth of God's work, of Christ saving them. Christians come in all shapes, all sizes, all genders, all religious backgrounds when they come to Christ. Some of them think that icons are cool. Some think cathedrals are cool. Some like Rick Warren. Some hate Rick Warren. It's weird. But the defining feature of Christians throughout all centuries is not going to fight the Arabs, even though the Arab world thinks so. The defining feature of Christians is not to be a capitalist, or a Republican, or a Democrat, or an independent, or a socialist. The defining feature of Christianity is what? A group of people who have said, I totally put my faith in the acceptance of Jesus Christ and His grace. And he's forgiven me for everything that I've thought, everything that I've said, everything that I did. And I even believe I have a relationship with the God of the universe. That if I go out and I blow it, and sometimes we blow it small, insignificant little ways, and sometimes we just dead burn, just blow it. You know what I mean? Have you ever blown it? 
<laughs> you don't have to tell us what you've blown it on. But, you know, we've all been there. Well, we've just blown it. But he will forgive me of that. See, that's the amazing thing of God. He forgives the little insignificant things, and he forgives it when you blow it. Wow. That is why I work hard through the Holy Spirit to not blow it. The work is my faith. If I'm going to be justified, if I'm going to be acquitted, I'm just going to go for broke. I'm just going to go for it. Everyone else can, you know, is backed away from the defense table at this point if you're before God because you are so guilty. No lawyer would ever take your case because they've seen your file. They've seen what you've done. And Jesus steps up in the perfect sinless one, and he says, I'm the public defender. I'll take his case. And he provides the argument. He provides the payment for sin, and he gets us our acquittal. That's an amazing thing. That person who believes and puts their faith in Jesus Christ and confesses him as Lord, as boss, as Savior, that person immediately receives undeserved, unearned righteousness. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how do we live that out here on this sinful earth. It is the fruit or the outcropping of what happens within us. And Romans, go back to Romans 3, uh, 22. It says, The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You know, in the Greek, I looked it up. All, it equals all. That's what it means. I thought that was kind of funny, but okay. Sin means trespass. It means to miss the mark, to err, to take the wrong path, to violate law, fall short, to lack or not be wanting, to fail, to, to fail to reach a goal. What did you fail to reach? You failed to reach the glory of God. That's what we've fallen short on. Glory is the splendor, the brightness, the, the excellent, the magnificent, the absolute perfection We fall short of absolute perfection. Can you imagine that? We actually fall short of absolute perfection. I thought I was almost there. (laughs) We fall short of that absolute perfection of, of, of who God is and what He requires. So now we hit the Roman road, you know, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say, let's say that together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there is a comma at the end of that sentence. And praise the Lord, there's a comma. You know, we really shouldn't learn half sentences in the Bible. We shouldn't really learn half thoughts in the Bible. It really kind of screws us up doctrinally. Now, ladies, I need you to say this. I want you to say the first half, and I want you to say it in that motherly tone that somebody just ate the last brownie, and you're all sitting around the family table, and you know who did it, and they haven't admitted it yet. Okay? So women, you know, here we go. For all... Oh, come on. Let's get a little more anger there. Let's get a little more for all of sin and... uh, for all have sinned and fall short. 
of the glory of God. Any of you guys have mothers at point? Maybe that was just me growing up. You know, four boys. It was the ghosts that dittered around our house. None of, our, you know, none of us four boys ever did anything wrong. I did not push my brother into the Christmas tree three years in a row. I didn't do it. It was the ghost. He tripped. I don't know. Okay, men, maybe we can help it, you know. We've just gotten home from a trip. You, you gave instructions of what needed to happen around the house. Maybe you have older kids. They didn't mow the lawn. They didn't do those things. And you're upset. Okay, you ready? Men, for all of... Now, ladies, come on. That, that was pretty good for the men, right? Oh, man. Now, thank God for the comma, Right? What does it say after that? You're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Wow. That is, that is amazing. Justified. It means a, a complete acceptance of God. Approved by God. It le- it's a legal term. It means acquittal. Not a pardon. Not a, okay, you did this. It's a, you never did it. Legally, you didn't do it. And justified freely by grace in verse 24. Grace is the word charis. It means undeserved, merciful kindness. So everyone has been made completely acceptable to God by his undeserved, merciful kindness. We're justified freely by grace. Now, the last part I want to, to, how many grandma and grandpas do we have here? We have any gra- okay, we got a few. Okay, your grandchild's coming over. You got all the cookies lined up. You got all the soda lined up. You don't care that they've said no soda and ice cream, but you got it all for the grandkids. You know what I'm saying? There's no such thing as a bedtime at your house. I mean, we're already getting that with Grayson, and his grandparents are the same age as we are. Man. Verse 24, the first half there, and are justified freely by his grace. Let's say that, grandparents. You ready? And justified. Okay. Second part two, that works. Man, I tell you, Lisa and I have been married 23 years. I kind of joked around about the grandparents, but... Uh, of, you know, we call them the in-laws and stuff because they're the same age. We don't really know what to call them, you know. I mean, they're Grayson's grandparents and they're our age and stuff. But even though Brandon is not their biological, you know, lineage or whatever, Grayson's grandparents treat Brandon with all sorts of candy and gifts. It's really cool. But it's one of those things of, you know, he's already got enough candy for, you know, we go over there and they give him not just one bar of candy, you know, oh, here's five bars of candy. We're like, you know, I mean, it's like, come on. That's what it's like. So let's all say, you know, verse 23 and, and 24 together. And, oh, I don't have it up here, do I? There we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That is awesome. What is redemption? Redemption is when, when you, you buy and free a slave. Now, we don't really get that in America, but you can actually go over to Africa right now, and in some countries, you, you know, some people are, are indentured or some people are literally in slavery, and you can go buy their freedom. 
I mean, this is, you know, first century, they did that all the time. And they're now your slave. And you turn around and you say, hey, by the way, go home, you're free. And they're like, what? But, but you just, you own me. And you, you go, no, 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 no. And then they turn around and say, you know what? Because you freed me, I want to serve you. Because you gave me freedom. And I'm going to do it out of my own free will. That's us with God. Verse 25, it says that God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Another, another word here is the word atonement. You might hear the, the word propitiation. It's one of those big church words. It's a mercy seat. It's a redemption. It's through the blood of Christ. It's the word atonement. Remember back in Exodus, they, they built an ark and they had, you know, they had the, uh, the courtyard and the holy place. And then behind, you know, inside the holy place, some priest could go. And then there was the holy of holies. And only the, the, the high priest could go once a year into that area. And you had the mercy seat, the ark there. And once a year, he would go and sprinkle the blood. And that was a sign that, that your sins were paid for. It's a sign of, of sacrifice and of atonement. So now you know that God has forgiven you. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain to the temple was torn in two. The front of the, the, you know, the, the Holy of Holies where the ark was, uh, you know, why was it torn? Because there was no longer a need to separate God between you, you know, or have a separation between you and God. It wasn't there now. Because now we are the ark of the covenant. That's a weird kind of concept. We're the ark. God has sprinkled the blood of His Son all over us, on us who believe. We can go into the Holy of Holies. We can, you know, with Christ's blood, is atoned, you know, over our life. So how does all this apply to me? Well, verse 25, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Whose faith? My faith. Your faith. Someone else's faith doesn't get you there. I have to have faith myself. Someone can't be baptized in it. Someone can't go to a church and light a candle for me. Someone can't confess my sin. It's an individual thing that I have to decide. That the work that I've done will not get me into heaven unless I have faith. And that is our job. Logic can't get us there. Faith is what leads us to heaven. It goes on halfway through verse 25. It says, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to, to be just and the one who justifies through whose faith uh, are those who have faith in Jesus. And we're going to get to all that next week. But it's our faith that does it in this world. Don't get up tomorrow and go about your day without you thinking about your faith, without you living out your faith. That's your work. No, no work gets us into heaven. But we respond as, as the freed slave and say, I want to serve you. I want to have faith in you because you freed me. Amen? Amen? That is our job. That's the only job that we have. It's 
kind of like the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments explain the 622 commandments. You know what I'm saying? They're just kind of like the headers. Well, the header for our life is called faith. Faith in Jesus. And that explains everything else. That explains how we act, what we say, what we see, what we do, how we treat people. All the things that we do are explained through one word. Faith. So don't leave that on the shelf. Don't leave that at home. Take that with you everywhere you go. Amen? Why don't you stand and we'll pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I thank you for, for people like Paul who understood, who understood you much more and much better than I did, and I do. That he could explain what it means to have faith, that he could explain how much of a sinner that I really am to get me to the point where I have to look around and say, well, how, how do I get to God? And for him to explain it, that it all starts, even though we've fallen short, that it all starts through our belief in what Jesus has done on the cross. I pray that we live out that faith this week. Pray we live out that with our family, with our friends, in our jobs, when we go shopping. If we get into a season of, of thankfulness that we don't leave faith setting at home, that we're thankful for what you've done to us and for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he strengthen your faith every day as we follow you, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.